12. Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Well, this morning, we're going to be finishing off Esther. Ten weeks in the making. Uh, I am thinking I'm going to do Jude. Uh, but then throughout the summer, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to open another book, seeing as y'all like to take summer vacations and everything. Okay, so the title of the message is Such a Time for Celebration. We'll be reading through Esther 9, verse 17, through 10, verse 3. Uh, and the points for this morning are rest and celebration, the Feast of Purim, and epilogue. So uh, before we jump into this, let's pray, and then we will finish off the book of Esther. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I just uh, thank you for this book of Esther and everything we've been learning through it. Uh, I just pray as we finish off the book this morning that we'll really be able to take the lessons that we've learned and apply them to our lives because they really are uh, good for, for a daily life following you, Lord. Uh, I just pray uh, for all this in your name, Lord. And all God's children say? Amen. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so, Esther chapter 9, verse 17 through 19, that's the first point. It says, This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar. On the 14th, and on the 14th of the month, they rested and made it a feast, a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day, as well as on the 14th. And on the 15th day, the 15th of the month, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in the unwalled towns celebrated the 14th day of the month of Adar with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. Who rested? <clears throat> Who rested and when? There's two different groups. The Jews are the entirety of it, but there's two different groups. Okay, two groups. The different groups are the Jews who are in Shushan and the Jews who are in the rest of the empire. The difference is the group that was in Shushan fought or defended themselves for two days. Remember, Esther came back with the uh, second request of let the Jews who are in Shushan defend themselves, let the decree go out for another day. Remember the extension request? Why only the people in Shushan? Uh, it was because that is where Haman had the most influence in the kingdom. And there were probably a ton of people there who still wanted the Jews dead. And if they didn't, couldn't defend themselves another day, the Jews still would have been attacked in Shushan. So they were extended another day. So the two groups, one in Shushan, they fought another day. So when they celebrated this feast, the joy of glad, joy and gladness, and, or feast in joy and gladness, they celebrated in Shushan on the 15th day of the month. The rest of the Jews throughout the entire empire celebrated on the 14th day of the month of Adar. 
So what we see here is that the work is finally being done. Right? They have been on the chopping block for what? 12 months? And now it has finally come to an end. Right? They have now successfully defended themselves. Jews in Shushan for two days. Jews in the rest of the country for one. And now they are at ease. They are now at rest. They can enjoy their lives. They can enjoy fighting. They can enjoy not being dead. Uh, not being annihilated. Uh, but I'm not going to say that the Jews are not going to be attacked anymore. Because this was back in 487 BCE. Hitler attacked the Jews long after that. So they're still going to be attacked, and they're still attacked. But now, they get to enjoy a time of rest. They get a time of rest, which they have been lacking for a whole year. They've been panicked for a whole year. We're going to die on this day. Uh, now, they can rest. Now, there isn't a ton to point out, apart from the fact that they were victorious. Uh... And, that, and so they rested and celebrated. But Matthew Henry put it a very, uh, very good way. He said, when we have received signal mercies from God, we ought to be quick and speedy to make our thankful returns to him while the mercy is fresh and the impressions of it are most sensible. Now, a lot of those words are old timey, right? You can't, it doesn't make sense in our as much in our modern vernacular. Is that the word? Yeah. Can you translate it to English? Basically, it's saying, when we have received mercy from God, right? When he's shown mercy, we need to be quick to show thanks. We need to be quick to not give it back, but to rejoice in what he has done for us. And that's what the Jews have done here, Right? The Jews have been through this type of thing so many times throughout their history. Now, there is one interesting parallel I would like to point out. The story that I'm thinking of and I'm going to compare it to is Exodus. Do you know what the Exodus was? The exit. The, the exit what? Egypt. The exit Egypt. Yes. So, we have... So we have the Exodus, right? The Jews were slaves in Egypt because, remember the story of Joseph? He brought his brothers and his family from Canaan to Egypt because of the fam uh, famine. And then once Joseph died, the Jews became, the Hebrews, as they were then, became slaves. Uh, and through that time, they uh, grew in numbers so much so that they were, there were more Jew, Hebrews in Egypt than there were Egyptians. Uh, hence why they became slaves. And then, you know, story of Moses. Uh, Pharaoh decides he's going to kill all the males that were born. Moses, and Moses went down the Nile, was saved by uh, the queen or the princess, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, which would have been a princess. Uh, 
so Moses then grew up in Egypt and was saved, and he ended up eventually coming back and saving his people. So Moses came back, told Pharaoh to let the people go, because God had told him to do so. Uh, Pharaoh said no many times, uh, basically every single time. He came back, and then there were the ten plagues, right? The killing of the first, uh, firstborn son, the Nile turning to blood, darkness over the land, the frogs, the locusts, uh, the warts, boils. Uh, yeah, so there was a ton of, there, there, there were the ten plagues. Uh, and it took the ten plagues for Pharaoh to agree. The Jews, similar, uh, the similarity I see here, though, is that the Jews were captive. Not saying that the Jews here in Babylon, or not in Babylon, in Persia were captive, but in a way, they were. They were taken captive by Babylon. Babylon got defeated by Persia. And the Jews were then scattered. Right? There were some Jews that went back with Ezra to build the temple. Uh, some Jews went back with, was it Ezra to build the wall? You've lost me. They built, basically they were rebuilding Jerusalem. So there were Jews all over this, all over the, this empire. But the, the thing here is that God showed great mercy to the Jews captive in Egypt. And immediately after the Jews left Egypt, they observed what the Lord had done. They responded, right? In Exodus 12, 40 through 42, it says, Now, the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generation. So they observed, like they basically observed what God had done in Egypt, letting them go. They observed the mercy that was shown upon them and solemnly observed it. Now, there is an implement, there's a feast implemented in remembrance of what happened in Egypt called the Passover. The Passover was when the, the firstborn were killed, right? Came they observe that feast to this day. The Passover is still observed. You want right? It is, yeah. They, and they can't do the sacrifices at the temple because they don't have a temple. But they still observe the Passover feast. And another feast to this day is celebrated in, in in Israel. It's called Purim. And that feast is in commemoration of Esther, of what happened in Esther. Both times in Egypt and Persia. <laughs> you have a over there? Both times in Egypt and in Persia, they observed the mercy that God showed them and remember it to this day. Now the Jews, they have a short memory. Okay? They do. Because like, think about how many times throughout their history they got taken captive or they got punished because of something they did. But they have a great memory when it comes to the feasts. When it comes to something, the monumental that happens, they have a great memory of that, which is amazing. So, 
Moving on, this is the part that we're going to be spending the majority of the moment, uh, morning on. It's the Feast of Purim. Now it says in verses 20 through 32, big chunk of, chunk of verses. I'm only going to read this one once just because I'm just going to discuss what Purim is. I have a question. You have a question? Yes. Verses 20 through 32 say, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews, near and far, who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and the 15th day of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. And the Jews accepted the custom which they had begun. As Mordecai had written to them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast per, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by the letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. So they called these days Purim. Wow, I just missed my spot there. So they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Therefore, because all of the words of his, this letter, which what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city, that these days of Purim should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of King Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim and their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them. And as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of the feasting and lamenting, so the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim, and it was written in the book. To basically sum all this up, because there's a lot there, and for the most part it repeats itself, they have rest. I will go into Purim. I will, go, I will explain that one a little bit. Uh, so, pretty much says, we have rest. Celebrate this rest with a feast, and do so for two days every year as a tradition. That's basically what this, these 13 verses say, right? Now, Purim, to this day, is celebrated. And I'm going to be taking a majority of the time this morning to talk about Purim. First off, does anybody know what Purim is? Or have you heard of Purim before now? A giant feast. Uh, it's a feast. Yes, it takes two days. Uh, so, 
Do you guys know what Halloween is? Yes. Yeah? What happens on Halloween? You get candy. Yes. Kids get kidnapped. Kids get kidnapped. <laughs> That's dark. What is, no, what is like the main staple of Halloween? Scariness. No, not the one I'm looking for. No, not what I'm looking for. Candy. No. Dressing up. There you go. Fourth try. We got it. Okay. So, you usually dress up on Halloween. How about Christmas? What do you guys know about Christmas? We eat. You get presents. There we go. And you eat a meal. Okay. So, now take, basically what Purim does is it takes the best of both, kind of, and, and to symbolize, like, symbolize what Purim is, looking at Halloween and Christmas. During Purim, uh, there are these, the following observances are done. They read the entire book of Esther which recounts the story of the Purim miracle. This is done once on the eve of Purim. And then, once again, the following day. They give money gifts to at least two poor people. They send gifts of two kinds of food to at least one person. And, the, and a festive Purim feast, uh, which often includes wine, is partaken. Now, there are a few customs that they follow during the holiday. First, they dress up in costumes. Now, so like a kind of, it is actually an interesting thing because I don't know if you guys know a ton about Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews. Uh, basically, they're the guys that wear the big hats, have the curls, and they're always dressed up. The Orthodox Jews have a very conservative dressing style, right? They have a very, like, the, it's all basically handmade clothes. For them to dress up, yeah, kind of like that. There's some that are bigger. There's some that are small. But they, either way, right, they all dress up. And it's a big deal because these Jews don't just dress up for any reason. They have a very conservative dressing style. They can't, or a uh, very conservative dress code. So they don't just, it's like going to school, right? When you go to school, schools usually have a dress code, right? No. If you don't have to wear an outfit or a specific uniform, you can't wear, or if you're in like a private school, you have to wear a specific uniform. When you're in public school, there is a dress code, right? At least when I was in school, you couldn't have, sh your shorts had to be to your knees. You couldn't wear strapless yeah. or whatever. What, like, you can't it was conservative. It was still conservative. Yes. Not as conservative as it could be. Uh, like, you know, you can't show your ankles. Ooh, scandalous. Uh, <laughs> but either way, they had a conservative dress code. So for them to dress up in a costume, that was a big deal. They won't do it for just any reason but they do it here. Now, the reasoning why they dress up is a thing that I find even more interesting, right? Can anybody take a stab at why the they dress up before I tell you guys? They want to make it a tempter It's in that way. How the reasoning why um, 
In contrast to the overt miracles of the holiday of Passover and Hanukkah, there's a silent sea in Hanukkah? (laughs) I did not realize that was Hanukkah. Okay, anyways, Hanukkah uh, and other Jewish holidays, the miracle of the holiday of Purim was disguised. Right? In natural events. Here is a sampling of the story. The king wanted his wife to come to a party. She did not want to. And she was exiled. Then an evil man wanted the Jews dead and plotted to accomplish this with the approval of the king. The king remarried and his new queen happened to be Jewish. And arranged the decree to be counted. Only after the fact... When, we, when one looks at the entire story, does one realize the great miracle that transpired? The custom of wearing costumes on Purim is an allusion to the nature of the Purim miracle. The, where the sto- details of the story are really miracles hidden within natural events. So, they wear costumes to represent that the, the miracles were hidden. So them being hidden under the costumes represents the miracles being hidden. So like, are the costumes like fun costumes? It depends. You, you, if you search it up, I'd be so careful searching like, it up. There's some really interesting ones out there now. There's some different like, thoughts. Uh, kind of. In I'm which way? Okay, in a way, I can see you being right. Are they calling Half of candy? Are they calling themselves <laughs> Well, no. They're just, it's represented. Because we're all so, special. the second thing that I find really fun, and I really wanted to do this with you we're guys, but for the sake of my dad downstairs being on live stream, it would have really, really, like, uh, messed up the live stream. Like- the second thing that they do, which I think is a lot of fun, and you guys basically do it to me anyways, um, basically, while reading the, bo- reading the book of Esther, every single time Haman's name is mentioned, which is 54 times, just so y'all know, they're encouraged to make noise. The noisemakers stomping their feet. Now, the noisemaker that they use is called a groger. A groger, I know. So, a groger... I, you probably have seen the style of noisemaker. It's a stick. It has a gear on it. And then it has that big, big wooden plank. And you're supposed to like... And it spins in a circle. That's a Groger. So every kid gets one of those. Every kid. Every adult has a noisemaker. They're stomping their feet. They're yelling. And every single time Haman's name is mentioned. Because it says that Haman's name was to be blotted out. So while reading the book to basically say like we're going to make as much noise as possible every not time Haman's name is mentioned because his name is to be blotted out that's so fun we should do it so they just make noise they stomp their feet they scream like his name be cursed like it is a fun time I would love to do it and once again this is a very interesting thing because you're not encouraged to make noise during a service this is the only service in the Jewish, like thing of hol- like in the Jewish book where of holidays, you get, where you are encouraged, where you are encouraged to yell, to make like the biggest noise possible 
but only on Haman's name. Only when Haman's mentioned. Basically, I wanted to do this, but it would make too much noise for downstairs. And I didn't have enough time to plan it. Yeah, but it was also supposed to rain this morning, and it, I don't know if it is. So then, now to answer Tim's question, what is, why is it called Purim? Now in verses 24 and 26, it says, uh, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr, that is a lot to consume them and destroy them. And then, so they called these days Purim, after the name Pur. Therefore, because of all the words of the letter, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had happened to them. So, we see that Haman cast Pur to decide the day of the Jews' destruction. Pur, as verse 24 says, was like lots. It was, ca- it was to cast Lots. Uh, do you guys know what lots are? Isn't it you... a name of somebody in the Bible? Well, it is a name of a person in the Bible. But do you know what a lot is? What like is to ca- What does it mean to cast a lot? Like you make a fortune? No. Working lot? No. Okay. So, it's a, there, it's, it, this is actually mentioned like a lot throughout the Bible. But I'm only going to mention two. In Jonah 1, verse 7, it says, and they, had to, uh, and they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then in Matthew 27, 35, it says, Yes. Matthew 27, 35 says, And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. So, Lots was basically pulling straws. They pulled straws to pick the day in the month on which they would be killed. They're like, well, leave this one a chance. It's, it's basically a way of gambling. Basically. So they took the instrument that was used to decide the day of their destruction and used it for their holiday. They took the instrument that was like, this is, your, your day has been decided by this. Now we're going to call our holiday in. They do it on the 14th and the 15th. Uh, it depends on the year. And the calendar is different. Because they also celebrate, or the Jewish calendar does it, or it's, or it's sunset to sunset is the day. But they count as soon as sun, sunrise is done, or sunset is sunset is there it's the next day so it could be six at night depending on where the sun is or what season so my last thoughts here before moving on to chapter 10 is that i find it amazing that the jews still remember and celebrate that god uh what god did way back then because we already know the jews have a short memory because you know how many times they get captive how many times were they punished? How many times did they make mistakes and God had to correct? Right? But they still remember these because they remember the, the monumental. No, they remember the monumental. I'll give them that. They can remember what God does for them. Even though they forget a lot of it, they still remember the monumental. 
right? So, like, do we remember what God does for us? Do we? Is it, like, something we do on a daily basis? Do we look at it as like, oh, God, last week, did you know that God did, like, God answered this prayer, and, you know, I, I really took the time and remembered it. And I said, oh, thank you, God. Right? Do you remember what God does for you? And do you celebrate it? Now, to end off here, uh, Esther chapter 10, all three verses of it. Woo, there's not much I'll say on this. Uh, but it says, And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the, islands of the sea. Now all the acts of his power and his might and the account of his greatness of, uh, the greatness of Mordecai, which, uh, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of the Medes and Persians? For Mordecai the Jew, who was second to the king and was great among the Jews and well received by the multitude of his brethren, seeking that good of his, the good of his people and seeking peace to all his countrymen. Now what we see here in the three verses is the end. Right? We have the epilogue. Now, if you don't know what epilogue is, it's a section or speech at the end of the book or a play that serves as a comment on or a conclusion to what has happened. That is chapter 10. It is the epilogue, right? We started, Esther, uh, we started uh, Esther coming quickly to the realization that the king acted rashly a lot, all the time. Right? And I think it's fair to say that we've seen growth over the past nine studies. That, you know, it doesn't say anything along, along those lines, but I believe that it's mention-worthy. The king has shown growth. By the end there, was he acting as rashly as he did at first when he banished his wife for not coming to a party? Now he's asking, what can I do? And thinking about his actions. I see growth, right? And then when we met Mordecai, where was he? Any thoughts? In the beginning of the book. There you go. You got it. I didn't think anyone was looking at the one. He was at the king's gate. Oh, um, he was at the king's gate. Thank you, Will. Right? So first he was introduced as Esther's uncle. The place, uh, right? Mordecai rose up the ranks, informing Esther the assassination. Now, then he went to being honored and being made second to the king. He was faithful in all he was given, and now he's written in the king's chronicles. A great way to put it, for three, he was great among the Jews, well-received by the multitude of brethren, seeking the good of the people and seeking peace to all his countrymen. Right? We see a difference between Mordecai and Haman. Haman was feared because of his power. Mordecai was well received, right? This doesn't mean that Mordecai wasn't feared because he was. It did say that. So scary. It did say that he was feared among the governors, the satraps, the officials. But the difference was he wasn't feared because of like, uh, no, how do I put this? His evil. He used his standing. Well, he wasn't feared because he was going to like, I'm going to kill all you. Like, Haman used his power and drew fear from the people. 
because of his power. Mordecai used what he had to help his people. There's a difference. Right? Remember I mentioned that in Luke 6 verse 10 it said, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in much or in little is also dishonest in much. You could also read Luke twelve forty eight, which I believe, like I know Mordecai probably didn't know this yet because it wasn't said until Jesus. But it says, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone whom much is given of much will be required, and whom, much, whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I believe Mordecai knew this. I believe Mordecai lived this. Right? Mordecai was a man of integrity. He's a man that should be looked up to. One last time, Esther, in Esther, don't be like Haman. Right? That's a good lesson to take from the book, right? Don't be like him. I would like to add to that. Be like Mordecai. Be like the man of character. Right? Don't be like him. So in conclusion, we have rest and celebration. Let's go through these ones today. It's the end of the book. The Jews rested, then immediately followed that. Following that, they celebrated. They implemented a holiday to remember God's mercy over them. The Feast of Purim. This is the most fun holiday that Jews have. Right? They celebrate this holiday every year, just like they celebrate Passover. They diligently remember the monumental moments. And then we have epilogue. Mordecai was a man of integrity and character. He is a man that, should, that we should look up to. We all need to be a little more. So in wrapping up this entire book, guys, the series, if you guys remember, for such a time as these, right? We live in such a time where we need to be living out the truths that we've been learning, right? Everything that we've gone through, we don't live solely on the mountaintops, right? We live in the valleys, and each of the lessons we've learned will apply to you at one point or another. Always remember that there is such a time to stand. There is such a time to respond. There's such a time to refuse. There is such a time for a decision. There's such a time to act. There's such a time for exaltation, for defeat, for salvation for victory, and for celebration. We live for such a time as these. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for Esther. Lord, it is, a, it is an important thing. That the times we live in are getting darker, which is why we need you more. And all these lessons that we're learning, Lord, help us to take them, to apply them, to live them. Lord, as I pray, uh, I want to pray for the coming weeks as we, we move on to another book, Lord, that we'll be able to take what we learned there as well. 
Lord, applying it to our lives, growing in you. Lord, I want to pray this all in your name, Lord.